Stay with me. Christians should not be concealing and carrying. Oh my goodness, those are fighting words in Missouri. Watch the back door, don't let anybody leave, okay? I'm not, uh, I know people are getting ready to go. But that's a dangerous thing to start a message with in the state of Missouri. Let me explain though. Some of you are already, you're already on your phone looking for another church in the area. <laughs> UPCI church locator, what's near Liberty, Missouri? Other people are thinking, pastor's going to San Francisco and Seattle, and the guy's already trying to fit in over there. <laughs> Let me assure you of something. I'm not going to be aligning with the current legislature of those cities anytime soon. I find it kind of funny, actually, when my friends come from Wisconsin, they're like, dude, you own power tools, you drive a lifted pickup, and you have a CCL license? And they're like, what's gotten into you? And I'm like, uh, I guess Missouri. Who knows, by the end of the, you know, the year, I might be hunting with Andrew. <laughs> Let's not push it, but one step at a time. So when I got your attention, Christians should not be concealing and caring. I do mean what I say, but not in the context of what you're thinking. I'm not here to argue about guns and gun laws, state legislatures, city codes, crime in the cities that have gun laws versus those that don't, nor am I going to ask who will you be voting for in this next election. Uh, if you want to talk to me and get my opinion, I'll gladly give that afterward, not in, the not in the microphone. But I'm here to talk about something a bit different than what you initially thought in my opening statement. Proverbs 28:13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So today, for just a little bit here, before you leave, I'm preaching on no conceal and carry permitted. No conceal and carry permitted. I try, I typed in a Google search, what is conceal and carry, just to see what it said. The very first explanation I saw was this, concealed carry is exactly what it sounds like. The carrying of a handgun or other weapons in public, but in a concealed manner, either on one's person or in close proximity. Now, Missouri, there are also open carry laws, so you can carry your weapon either concealed or right out in the open, except in certain locations that it's not allowed. Now today, no matter what your beliefs are on the Second Amendment, no matter what your beliefs are on handguns or other weapons, I will say that every single person here has concealed and carried some things before. Some of you are still carrying those things right now. For some of you, you're, you're concealing the things you're carrying. They're hidden. Nobody can see. For others, you're openly carrying things. Because it's just right out in the open. I'm not talking about guns. I'm talking about things that are actually more dangerous than guns. Things that have the potential to cause you to miss out on heaven. Miss out on eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. You see that opening text. It says people who conceal their sins. They won't prosper if they confess them. They'll receive mercy. Confession brings things to the open. 
not carrying them anymore. Look what David says in Psalm 32, 5. Finally, that insinuates that it wasn't a quick thing, that sometimes there, maybe he held on to it for a little bit, but he says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. What a sense of relief. Don't you just sense the relief in that passage? <laughs> Finally, I did it. And wow, you, you forgave me. It's amazing how freeing it is when we just stop concealing and bring it to the open. If we'll just bring God our guilt and openly confess it and stop trying to hide, God will forgive you. You don't have to carry that in secret anymore. It's why after pre Peter preaches all about Jesus and the book of Acts 2 and, and the, the audience feels conviction and they said to Peter, what shall we do? And the first thing out of people's, Peter's mouth is, is a discussion about repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, spirit infilling like we heard about this morning. Repentance is coming clean with God. It's bringing the secret things to the open. It's, it's making a decision that you're not going to hide in the dark anymore. Why? Because the saying goes, it's a true saying, bad things grow in the dark. Bad things grow in the dark. That's why I take a few minutes about my vacation this morning. Why? Because I don't want to leave it in the dark and leave things to the imagination. Let's get it out in the light and discuss it. Because bad things grow in the dark. And when we do this, 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we claim we have no sin... We're, not only, we're only fooling ourselves, not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us uh, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. When we finally admit it, we all have sinned. Maybe, maybe just to make yourself feel better. If you have ever sinned before, raise your hand. Everyone take a look around. All right, there's a guy in the back. He has, no, I'm just kidding. So we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when we stop fooling ourselves and instead we just confess, stop trying to conceal and carry our past failures and shortcomings, that is when God will forgive you and cleanse you. But you know what? We're getting ready to have an altar call in a little bit. You can come to an altar. You can say, God, forgive me. I want to turn away from sin. I want to be baptized in your name. But sometimes the pride keeps you there, the fear of the unknown. Well, if I go up there, what does that entail? Does someone gather around me? Do they make me sign something? Do I have to donate blood? Like, none of that. When I get baptized, do they hold me under the water for how long? I mean, like, there's a lot of nerves that are built up in the unknown. But if you are unknown, it's, it, it, here, I'll, let me make it clear. You come, you pray, we might pray with you. You pray to God, you don't have to read a prayer. He likes genuine, transparent people. You tell him you're sorry, make a commitment. We'll take you back there. Somebody shows you where to change. There's clean blue gowns that have weights on them, won't fly up and show your business. You get in the clean, warm water. You go under the water. Come up out of the water. Your sins are washed away. It's a beautiful experience that you have nothing to worry about. There you go. The unknown is now in the known. There's nothing to be afraid of. So now you get to make a decision yourself. And the Lord wants to cleanse you and wash you and, 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 and fill you with His Spirit. He wants that. 
But guess what? Some of you are sitting here going, yeah, I've repented, been baptized, filled with the Spirit. This message is for somebody else. They need to conceal. They need to stop concealing their sins. These people, sometimes we get like Pharisees. I thank God I'm not like them. Whoa, sit tight for a second. <laughs> you're feeling good because you're home clean, no longer concealing and carrying. Oh, they've been washed in the blood, but yet there's other things we can conceal and carry. Ready? Mark eleven twenty five. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Hmm. Wait a minute. So I can confess my sins to Christ. Stop concealing and carrying those things. Leave that passage there, please. But then I can begin concealing and carrying things toward my brother and sister. And that can keep me from being forgiven. I thank God I'm not like everybody else. I have been baptized in Jesus' name. I got the picture, the date in my Bible. I repented. I'm spirit-filled. Bless God. Hopefully some of these people will hear it. Oh, wait. When you're praying, it kind of insinuates you want to be forgiven? I'm going to forgive the way you forgive others. Matter of fact, we look on at the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12. Jesus is praying. He says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Who opened your morning prayer today with that statement? Lord, forgive me, Lord, today like I forgive other people. I don't see any hands because I think a whole bunch of us would be scared to death to pray that prayer. God, forgive me the way I forgive other people. So would most of your sins be forgiven? Would a few of them? Would almost all of them except for one or two? And he goes on and says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you, wait. He talks about forgiveness, talks about yielding to temptation and the evil one, and then goes back to forgiveness. I always thought those were separate topics. Is Jesus on the same topic? Yielding to temptation doesn't sound like a forgiveness issue. But verse 12 says, if we, verse 12 says, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Verse 13 says, and don't let us yield to temptation, rescue us from the evil one. Verse 14 says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. This whole topic's on forgiveness. Context. If. You forgive others. Your father will forgive you. Who, who, and I think everybody raised their hand that they're sinners. So we all need forgiveness. So we all need to forgive. <laughs> Interesting. You see, verse 14 insinuates that God's forgiveness is based on us not concealing and carrying something towards someone else. I get forgiven how I forgive others. Yikes. 
Yikes. But notice, nestled between those is this verse on, on, on forgiveness. It's this verse on yielding to temptation. Jesus calls from rescue from the evil one. Rarely, if ever, do we associate this with, with forgiveness. But in the context of the passage of the Lord's Prayer, I believe that one of the greatest tricks of the devil, one where we as followers of Jesus need rescue from, one of the greatest temptations to the church of the living God, this next two statements might be the smartest and best thing I'm going to say today. So tune in. That we miss out on our vertical relationship. Because our horizontal relationships are not right. How often are you not walking in the power and authority and having prayers answered and fulfillment in, in Christ because you think this is good, but this is not. You see, the apostle Paul fully understood this when he writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Look what he says to him. He says, church, he says, get rid of all bitterness. Let's just stop there. We'll leave and we'll work on that and come back next week, right? I mean... But no, Paul gives a list. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of evil. He calls it evil behavior. Because he understood the role that those things play in the church of the living God. It doesn't matter if you're baptized in Jesus' name and speak in tongues every moment of every day. If we do that in the vertical relationship seems right, but the horizontal relationship isn't, it will destroy the church. And so he says, church... Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. It's all evil. Get rid of it. Well, I don't, it's not really bitter slander words. I mean, me and my brother, we were just talking about, you know, me and Bill, we were just talking about Billy Joe and the problems he has. We weren't really meaning anything really bad by it. That's slander. I was just, I was just teasing, Really? He says, instead of that, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I said this one time, it's a powerful thought. I have, no one person has ever wronged me as much as I've wronged Jesus. I don't care the most vile, wicked things, and I know that there's probably some of you that have had that done to you, and I don't mean to belittle those things. But no one has ever wronged you more than you've wronged Jesus. And in spite of that, in his grace and in his mercy, he loves you. Paul writes to the church in class, he says, make allowance for each other's faults. I think we could do a better job, right? Anybody here have any faults? Anybody sitting by anybody that had? No, no, don't raise your hand for that. <laughs> we all have faults. And we're commanded in Scripture. This isn't just a good leadership tip. We're commanded in Scripture to make allowance for each other's faults. That's Scripture. 
and forgive anyone who offends you, it's going to happen. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you got to forgive others. Oh, thanks for the reminder, Paul. What a good piece of advice, reminding me that I put him on the cross. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Paul knew why Jesus prayed. Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those. And, and, don't, and don't let us yield the temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive. He knew about this because the first century church needed rescue from the evil one. In the same similar ways, the 21st century church needs rescue from the evil one. Not much can negatively affect your vertical relationship like tension in your horizontal relationships. This is, that makes this a very spiritual thing. It's not just, I just want to get along better with people, and it just seems like our personalities don't click, and we just kind of chalk these things up. No, this is a very spiritual thing. And it's one that you and I must be aware of, or it's going to impact our own relationship and even our ministry, our relationship with God. Concealing and carrying our own sin, concealing and carrying bitterness toward others, both are destructive. We just met with someone yesterday who gave me permission to reference them today. I won't use names or situations, but they gave me permission. And they felt a little hurt and offended by a few things that had happened to them here. But instead of taking that and running like our flesh often does, they scheduled a meeting with my wife and I to clear the air on a few things. Why? Because bad things grow in the dark. But when it was brought to light, confusion turns to clarity and all is well. That's the Bible way. But it takes strength and character and determination. If we could all be like that person that we met with. If we could all be real, transparent, no concealing, no carrying, no hiding. Because if we're, if we're, if we're being honest today, sometimes it's really tough. To forgive someone. Me preaching this is not belittling your situation. Like, that's not even a bad thing. That's not a big deal. You just need to let it go. Don't you love that when you go through something? And some really well-meaning Christian, just like, well, bless God, brother. Just got to pray about it and let it go. You say, I'm going to let, you know what I'm going to let go? I'm going to let go of a fury on you if you touch me again. You know what I mean? Like, Right? That's our attitude. It's like people get up in our face and it's just, oh, you just you need to let it go, brother. You just need to take it to the Lord. And they might be right, but sometimes you're like, now's not the time. But you see, real things happen to us. No doubt. And we started to pass this mic around, which no, Lord knows we ain't doing that. <laughs> we started to pass the mic around. We'd hear some stories. No doubt you'd hear stories that people were beat, assaulted, molested, hurt, talked bad about, didn't know family members, people that should have been there weren't. There'd be some real tough stories. Churches hurt them, church leaders hurt. There'd be some tough stuff. stuff that's what I say God can heal but sometimes I'm not against counseling if you've tried to make it and you say man I'm still struggling there's nothing wrong with going to a godly counselor that 
is going to listen and provide a little bit of direction. Because these stories are real. They often let us see the whole picture when we hear about people struggling. But do you know what I love about the Bible? Those stories are real too. And the Bible doesn't just share just the highlights. We get to read about Peter. Oh, man, he stands up with the 11 and preaches, and oh, 120 people are there, and they get the whole, and then another 5,000, but we read about, yeah, Peter, yeah, that's the same guy, too, that, like, steps out of the boat and doesn't have faith, looks at the storm, sinks down, needs Jesus to rescue him, starts cussing when people are like, hey, you look familiar, you know, I think uh, you were with them. I was not with them. Oh, yeah, that Peter. I love that. Because we could read stories in the Bible, accounts of lives like ours, that are just not always perfect. But I love this, because have you ever thought about some of these biblical scenarios? Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary's son was beaten, spit upon, stripped naked, ridiculed, and killed by church leadership. And Acts rolls around and makes it a point to record this in Acts 1.12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. He's now dead, buried, risen again. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. And when they arrived, they went up to the upper room. And here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Mary's son may have been God manifest in the flesh, but she was still his mother. She felt the agony and the pain of seeing him arrested, ridiculed, made fun of, falsely accused by people who are supposed to be religious, beat, whipped, punched, beard plucked. His friends and followers are hiding out on him, not even there to help him. Oh, well, yeah, you get it, the Pharisees. She probably knew the Pharisees were false too. She probably knew that's not a big deal. Okay, what about... The followers that he just invested years of his life in that said, oh, I'm with you always. I'll never let you down. Oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to come with you. I'm, I'm, I'm there to the end. What about those guys when Mary's weeping, watching her son get his skin torn off his back, and she's going, you know, where's James? Where's Bartholomew? Where's that guy Peter with the loud mouth? I mean, where are these guys? Imagine that. How would you be doing, moms? Mothers? How would you be doing watching the religious elite do that to your baby? How would you be doing when the followers are all, they all ditched him. They ain't around and he's literally by himself. They have to call some stranger from the crowd to carry the cross. And you're watching this. How would you feel, mom? If I know the love of a mother, there might be a few grudges held. Like the next time you see Philip, hi, Mary said, don't touch me. 
Where were you? I don't know who you think you're. You better get out of my face. I don't know. My mom still says I'll always be her baby. You mess with me, she'll probably pop you one. You're going to complain about me going on vacation. Don't do it to her. But what what do we read after his death? Luke starts penning the book of Acts and makes it a point to say, Oh yeah! Hey! He just died and he rose again and told us to wait in the room. And oh yeah, after all that. Yeah, the disciples, they were all there. Oh, and and by the way, Jesus' mom, Mary, she was still in church. That might not be a big deal to Mary, Mother Jesus. Yeah, of course she's there. She got the Holy Ghost, praise God. No, no, no. Do you realize what just happened? It's not just the Pharisees. She had to show up at church and worship with the guys that betrayed and let her son down. She had to come into a room with 119 other people, many of them who had all let him down, and look them in the eye and not say, hold on before we get through this. I need to talk to you. Where were you guys? Did you even know? I mean, they literally plucked my son's beard out. They whipped him with glass, come around and chunk, took chunks of his skin. They punched him and said, who's hitting you now, king of the Jews? Where were you? She has to show up at church with people that no doubt that she was furious with at some point. Hurt, devastated, no doubt. They come together. She's still in church. Because if the church is going to be the church, there can't be a permit to conceal and carry hurt. People who hurt you in church can be the hardest and most difficult to deal with. I'm hitting a nerve for some of you right now. People that hurt you in a church, that's supposed to be the safe place. Church leadership should never hurt your feelings, so we think. We assume these people are going to be better than them. People you sit next to on the pews and pray with at altars, they should never let you down. But we know from experience mostly that those things aren't true. They happen because people are people and no one is perfect. We're all in this journey and we all mess up and we say things and we do things that cause pain to other people. But not only did Mary have to pray through church hurt, imagine this other scenario and I'm almost done. Look at the end of Acts 1, Acts 1.15. It says, during this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures have been fulfilled concerning Judas who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one uh, one of us and shared in ministry with us. Let's start talking about the past. Judas, man, he messed up. 
We all know about that. But then he goes down to verse 20. He says, this was written in the book of Psalms. It says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. I love this because the New Testament apostles viewed the Old Testament as inspired. And now after, after seeing Jesus, they start to make the connection, really hearing Jesus quote from the Old Testament. They're seeing the prophecies come to life. And he's making the connection. Hey, this is what they were talking about in Psalms. So now, he says, we got to choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time. So there was a prerequisite. You had to be with them the whole time, traveling with Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John till the day he was taken with us, from us. See, you know, there wasn't just 12. There was a group. So we're going to choose from the people who are there from the beginning. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Can you imagine this playing out? Here we go. We got this business meeting, okay? We got two nominations to bring forth, all right? But Matthew, come on up here. We chose you. Come on. And uh, Brother Noah, come on up here. And here we go. We have Justice and Matthias. See what I did there? Makes it easier. So come on up here, guys. So these are the two names we bring you. We're praying they're going to be better than Judas. So here's the interview. Were you there to see Jesus get baptized by John? Absolutely. Were you there to see Jesus get baptized by John? Yes. I'm glad you guys weren't funny guys there. Thank you. <laughs> they are both got a sense of humor, so I could see that happening. So... They, we start to say, okay, so you were there, you traveled with us, you did this. Here are the names. We got Matthias, we got Justice. And these, one of these men need to take the position of Judas because these are the ones who are going to have apostolic authority. Everyone in the first century, even whether a text was inspired or not, did the apostles preach from it? Did the apostles write it? They had ultimate authority even through the ages. Oh, and, and, and this is pretty cool. Whoever we choose, the apostles' names are going to be etched in, in the wall of the pearly gates when we get to heaven the walls of the city there's going to be I mean like this is a huge moment not only for this day for your resume for the future for eternity for heaven itself and so they all prayed, oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry, for he deserted us and gone where he belongs. Man. Ooh. Then they cast lots, and, who, uh, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Congratulations. You are going to join the ranks of getting beheaded, flayed alive, thrust through with a spear. I mean, that's the apostles. Sorry. Better luck next time. But hopefully there won't be a next time. So you can go have a seat. You ever thought through this through the eyes of justice? Barsabas? This guy's probably pumped to be in the running for this position. I mean, he's followed Jesus all over the place for years. 
Scripture lets us know he traveled with him. He was a witness. This guy was devoted. He was on board. He was sold out to the cause. Now it comes to the business meeting, election day. Rubber meets the road. And what happens? Justice is not chosen. Matthias gets the nod. Church business meetings can be tough. And it wasn't done in private. It was right up and let's pray. The Lord chose Matthias. The Lord did not choose you. How many people would have left that, that public display of rejection? How many people would have left the church devastated? How many would have left the church? Because it's not only humankind, God sometimes does stuff that offends us. So we don't just conceal and carry our own sin. We don't just conceal and carry things toward others. But sometimes we conceal and carry things toward God himself. We don't see this from justice. Do you know that the, that's it? It ends with that. The very next verse, the very next wording in the book of Acts is Acts 2.1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Justice remains unified, and all the believers, you can be seated, thanks. And all the believers receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, 1 to 4 is that's where people think the New Testament church started there in the unity and they were in one mind and one accord. Praise God. We don't just want the Holy Ghost today. We want to be in one mind and one accord just like it started right there. But unity does not begin in Acts 2. It begins in Acts 1. When things don't go the way some people wanted it to go. When Mary walks into that upper room with 119 people that were not there for her son. And she says, I refuse to let the hurt that I've experienced keep me from being a part of the body of Christ. I am not going to allow the outpouring of the Spirit to miss my life. I refuse. I'm going to look at every one of you. And I'm going to worship with you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be in one mind in one accord with you and then this other guy who says thanks for trying you can go have a seat you're not the man that God has chosen but it's this other guy and that guy sticks around and says now let's have church it's time for God to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and I want to be a part of it It's a refusal to let bitterness in, a decision to remain in unity in spite of personal situation or discouragement. And that, folks, is what results in Holy Spirit outpouring. You can stand to your feet right now. Christians should not be concealing and carrying. You can conceal and carry, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> 
Now when it comes to this stuff, our opening text says people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn, they will receive mercy. Justice could have concealed and carried, but he would have lost out. Mary could have concealed and carried, and she would have lost out. I mean, literally, the mother of Jesus could have missed out. You and I can conceal and carry, but you will lose out. If you've been carrying sin that you're hiding and not dealing with, don't leave today without revealing it, bring it to the open. He tells you, he'll forgive. I'm faithful and just, just bring it to me. And if you've already approached Jesus, but you're still concealing and carrying something toward your brother or your sister, maybe it's not your brother or sister. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your spouse. There's things that were done and said or were not done and not said. And you've tried to get over it. And you've tried to just work on your marriage. And you just tried to make things work. It's time to have a conversation. And in that conversation, it might not be let's hash out all the details from the past 27 years. It might be somebody just saying, hey, you know what? Something you said, something that you did, something you didn't do, that hurt me. I'm not here to talk about that. I want to release you from that hurt. I want you to know I've never verbally said that I've been hurt. I've never verbally said I've forgiven you. But that hurt. And I've forgiven you. Maybe it's time that we literally let some things go that nobody's saying it's easy. Nobody's saying it didn't hurt. But I think Mary was pretty hurt. Justice probably pretty hurt. But it's a decision where we look at someone and say, you know how you caused me so much pain? It's because I love you so much. But I don't want to live here anymore. I want to release this. I want to let it go. I want to love you wholeheartedly without that pain blocking it anymore. Don't let it weigh you down. Unify with the body. If you need to, it might have been me. This morning, I'm walking around the church praying. I pray almost every day, God, help me to forgive others. Help me to see the best in people. Use me to bring out the best in people. But I've started praying, Lord, help other people to forgive me. I have a wife and children, three rambunctious little ones, that they might do something that causes hurt or pain or bitterness or maybe the way I handled something. I know that there's a a multitude of things. God, help people to love me and my family. Help me to love them. Help us to see the best in one another. Help. I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone in the church. So it might be me that you need to approach and say, hey, Pastor, some of you did hurt me. And you know what? If it's a spouse and somebody says that, don't say, whoa, you're the one that just, just shut your mouth. And just embrace. 
and move from chapter 3 into 4, 7 into 8, and move into a new chapter. Because right now, God wants to do something supernatural in this place. God wants to heal some hurts. He wants to heal some hearts. He wants to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. But Acts 2 doesn't happen until after Acts 1. Acts 2 unity, one mind, one accord, doesn't take place until the church moves past their hurt. Until the church makes a conscientious decision to come together as a body to look people in the eye and say, we're getting ready to experience one of the greatest revivals our world has ever seen. But the devil, Jesus says, pray this, that you don't yield to temptation. Be aware of the enemy. What am I talking about? I'm talking about forgiveness. Because that is one of the major things that can unravel, that can unhinge all of the plans that I have for my New Testament church. And it was that way back then, and it's still that way today. God wants to do something miraculous, but the one thing that can unravel all of it is if He can get it from the inside out. And we begin to look and question one another's motives. Why'd you say that? Why are you looking at me like that? What's your problem? That person's always had an issue with me. Stop! We gotta be in one mind and one accord. We gotta be unified. We gotta be unified in family, in, in with pastor and, and saint and co-minister workers. We gotta be one mind and one accord. But it starts with us coming to an altar saying, God, I'm making a decision to let it go. I'm making a decision to move forward. No doubt Mary looked and said, I get it, guys. I was hurt, but I know it was a scary time. I know that you had good intentions. I, I, I understand. I know you love him. But we got to move on because he's getting ready to pour out his spirit. And we got to be prepared. That's the message to the church today. I invite you to find a place to pray and do not conceal and carry anymore. <laughs>